Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As a church, over the last four weeks, we have been spending time in the book of Esther. And Esther is this book that's uh, buried kind of in the depths of the Old Testament. Uh, but we are, we are learning from this story of this faithful woman, Esther, and her relative, Mordecai. I have told you repeatedly over these last four weeks, and I'm going I'm to tell it again, that we worship a sovereign God. As I told the children in the children's lesson, a God who is big, who is powerful. We believe in a God who is in control of all things. And that same God always keeps his promises to us. In today's portion of the story, in Esther chapters 6 through 8, we see God changing the course of history for the Jewish people by becoming involved in the life of a pagan king who is having trouble sleeping at night. This is how this portion of the scripture begins in Esther chapter 6. God gets involved in directing the events of a sleepless pagan king. Here's what happens. Last week, if you were here, uh, we, we saw as Esther the queen held a feast for the king and his associate, the villain in the story, by the name of Haman. And they had a wonderful time together eating and drinking merrily. Well, Haman, the bad guy, left that feast and he was so upset with Mordecai, uh, Esther's Jewish relative, who wouldn't bow down to him, that, that he went home and he conspired with his wife and his friends to figure out a way to get Mordecai executed the next day. So they built this large impaling stick 75 feet in the air outside of Haman's house. That's what Haman did that night of the feast. The king, on the other hand, went back to his bedroom and tried to go to sleep after the big party. And he couldn't fall asleep. He was sleepless. And at this time, they didn't have Netflix and boring documentaries to help you fall asleep. I, that's what I do if I'm having trouble falling asleep. I put on a boring documentary, and then I get interested in it, and then I, you know, I can't fall asleep after that. But they didn't have that. So instead, the king called for his servants to come and read to him the chronicles of his kingdom. Essentially, he's asking for them to come and read him uh, minutes from the board meetings, you know, <laughs> uh, boring things that are supposed to help him just doze off to sleep. But as they're reading to him about his kingdom, he hears this exciting, memorable news that a man named Mordecai had saved his life from an assassination plot. Do you remember this? Those of you who have been with us, this was earlier on in the story. It just kind of happened and then passed by that Mordecai overheard two guys planning on assassinating the king. And Mordecai told uh, Esther, who was queen, and Esther went and told the king in the name of Mordecai about what had happened. And earlier in the story, that's all we knew. But now it's coming back full circle. And so the king thinks, wow, this Mordecai saved my life. I have, I have to do something to thank him for what he's done. Well, then we make it to the morning, and Haman comes to the king to talk to him about his plan about killing Mordecai on the gallows. 
And Haman shows up as a close advisor to the king, and the king thinks, I should run this by Haman. So he, he starts talking to Haman about what should we do to somebody who's done such wonderful things to the king. And Haman, being the egotistical man that he is, thinks the king's talking about him. So he comes up with this elaborate parade where they'll ride on a royal horse in royal robes paraded through the city. And the king loves the idea so much that he says to Haman, Haman, why don't you go to the house of Mordecai and do this for him? Can you only imagine? Haman was planning on going to Mordecai's house in the morning, but he was planning on arresting him and impaling him on a 75-foot-tall stake outside his house. But instead, he's got to go to him, put royal robes on him, put him on a royal house, a horse, and parade him through the city. The tides are turning, the scales are tipping. <laughs> and so this is what has to happen. Haman parades him around, and, and Mordecai is el- starting to be elevated. Well, that night is the next feast for Haman and the king to go to that Esther's prepared. So the three of them are at this feast again, eating and drinking, and again the king says to Esther, Esther, what do you want? What is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom. And finally now Esther makes it known. She says, my people have been set to be annihilated, to be, be completely killed. And the king says, who said so? And she points to the one other man in the room and says, wicked Haman. The king storms out of the room and Haman starts begging and pleading us, one, please save my life, save my life. Maybe a bit too aggressively because when the king comes back in, Haman is, Haman is falling on Esther and he is so upset they throw a bag on his head and the eunuch stands up and, and says, let's not only arrest him, let's put him on his own gallows outside his own house. <laughs> so they go and impale him. What a crazy turn of events. From this point on, Mordecai is elevated to Haman's position in the kingdom, moves into Haman's house, is given the king's signet ring like Haman was, and Mordecai and Esther now have the opportunity to send an opposing decree out to the whole kingdom. They can't revoke the king's prior decree that Haman had sent out for all the Jews to be killed. They can't undo it. It's a law but they can send another one. So they send another one and they say, on the day that you're supposed to be attacked, rise up and fight. And not only that, we'll give you one extra day to go clear out all of your opponents after they come after you. So this is what happens. What a turn of events. The tables are turning and the scales are tipping and justice is being served, I think we could say. We love sayings such as, you get what you deserve. What comes around goes around. You'll get yours. And I even hear people in our community, maybe sometimes even in our congregation, talk about the false idea even of something called karma. People love these kinds of sayings, especially when it goes against your enemy, right? What comes around goes around. You'll get yours. We love that kind of stuff when it goes against our enemy. And maybe, maybe even it seems like that's the message we're supposed to get out of Esther's lesson today. See, Haman built his own gallows. Don't build gallows, right? You're going to get executed on your own gallows. Is that what we're supposed to hear in this? We like the idea of justice being served to our enemies. And maybe we even like these sayings, you know, you get what you deserve if it turns out positive, 
for us. But what about on the negative side of things? What about, what about when we get what we deserve in terms of a, a punishment? None of us in our right minds, I don't believe, nobody likes to be punished, even if they deserve it. If that were the case, there would be happy children all over the world, right? If they were delighting in being punished. That's not how it works. Even if we deserve it, we don't really like it. I want to tell you about a man one time who started building a gallows in his garage. Not for any harm to be done. He was just curious of what it would look like, okay? He was just a guy who liked working with... Well, let's say he was reading through the book of Esther and he's like, I wonder how to build a gallows, all right? So he's in his garage and he starts to, to put, a, put this gallows together. So he goes to his scrap wood pile in the corner of his garage trying to figure out which pieces he should use and he, he finds this one big beam and he, he sets it up vertically in his garage and, and he starts to think to himself, now, if I were going to be hung on the gallows, what would my crime be? What would I be guilty of in my life? And so he starts to think about this vertical beam, and he thinks, well, maybe this is representative of my sin that I've committed against God. So to make it a little more impactful, he goes and he gets a permanent marker, and he starts writing on this beam the sins he's committed against God, and he wrote things like, I look to other gods instead of you. I pretend that you don't exist, God, so I can do what I want. I try to hide from you in my life. I've puffed myself up with pride and made myself to be my own, God. God, I, I've disregarded the blessings of your gifts and I've claimed them as my own achievements. He could have kept going, but he was starting to run out of room, and he, he understood the point here. And so he thought to himself, okay, how else should I build this gallows? And so he went back over to his scrap pile, and he found another, another beam, and this one he laid down on the floor horizontally. And he looked down at it, and he thought, well, maybe this one could be representative of the sins I've committed against my fellow humans. So he grabbed his permanent marker and he started writing on this one. I lied to my wife. I cheated on my taxes. I'm so angry with everyone all the time. So selfish with my money. And again, he could have kept going, but he was running out of the room and the point was being made. So he laid it all out in his garage and he started gathering together nails and screws and fasteners, trying to think, how is he going to put this thing together? When, when all of a sudden there was a man, a stranger to the neighborhood, who was out walking in the neighborhood, and this stranger noticed the garage door open, and he thought, well, I'll go see what that man is doing. And so the stranger walked up to the man's garage with the light on, and, and the stranger said to the man, are you finished? And the man said, uh, no, not, not really. I'm still working on, on building this. Honestly, I could write a lot more things. And, and the stranger said to him, uh, no, that's enough. Give those pieces to me. Follow, follow me. 
And the stranger picked up the two pieces of wood under his arms, and he, and he started walking down the street of the neighborhood. And the man started following him closely and walking silently down the street. And, and there they got to the end of the street. The street ended, and there at the end of the neighborhood, there was a hill just outside the neighborhood. And as they got to the end of the street at the base of the hill, the stranger turned to the man and he said, I've got it from here. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And the man went home and the stranger climbed that hill. The man got exactly what he did not deserve. The gallows were gone, taken from him. The sins written on them were taken away. If you're not picking up on the story, (laughs) underneath the story here, this is exactly what Jesus has done for every one of us. Jesus took the gallows that we deserve, that we've built for ourselves with our own sin, and he climbed that hill called Golgotha, and there he took upon himself what we deserve, and he said to us, I'm going to give you exactly what you don't deserve. This is what we get from Jesus. We do not get what we deserve. Instead, we get grace. This is, by definition, what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. Jesus' life for my life, his death for my death. Sometimes the cross of Jesus is considered to be the great exchange. The great exchange, him for us. Again, we love phrases such as, you get what you deserve. What comes around goes around. You'll get yours. And sometimes we love it when it goes against our enemies and when it benefits us to the positive. But do you not know that because of your sin and my sin, we are considered, by definition, enemies of a perfect and holy God? Our sin sets us apart from God. If it were not for him coming to us and giving us the cross of Jesus Christ, we would be lost and condemned forever. In reality, without the grace of God in Jesus, God should say to us, yes, you built your gallows, and yes, you should die on those gallows. But that is not what we receive. Instead, Jesus picks up our cross and his sin, or his lack of sin, He takes our sin upon his lack of sin and he dies in our stead. We get what we do not deserve and that by definition is grace. We read in our gospel lesson today one of my favorite Bible passages. I think I say that about a lot of Bible passages. I love this one. John chapter 1 verse 16 where John is describing who Jesus is and and he says this. From his fullness, that is the fullness of Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. From the fullness of Jesus Christ, we have received grace upon grace. What did I say grace is? It is that undeserved gift of love. We only need one layer of grace. That should be more than enough for us, the undeserved gift. And we should say, wow, Lord, thank you for setting me free. And this says from the fullness of Jesus... Uh, I'm going to put another layer of grace upon that grace just for you. 
<laughs> when I picture this, I, I picture something like a multi-tiered cake of grace, like a, like a seven-layer grace cake, right? And Jesus just says, here it is for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm here today to offer you a bite of this grace cake that you might take it and know that your sin is gone. I don't know what words you would write on that vertical and horizontal beam as you step foot into this place today, but I know what I would. Right now, you are declared free and forgiven of it all. And we say, how? I, I, I know what I did. And Jesus says, no, go. You are set free. And when I set you free, you're free indeed. <laughs> Take a bite of the grace cake and go full of the grace of Jesus Christ. See, with Jesus, we never get what we deserve, but we always get just what we need. Next week, we're going to continue this story in Esther. We're actually going to finish it up. We were going to extend it for two more weeks. We're going to finish it next week. So that means chapters 9 and 10 are on the docket for next week. So I've been inviting you to read ahead. Again, if you're just, just joining us, go home and read the whole thing. It's just 10 chapters and it's good, thick drama, all right? But if you're tracking along with us, we're going to be focusing on chapters 9 and 10. I tell you again, go. go. You're forgiven and set free. By the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone, in his name, amen.